Cooler Money, Speak Out, Speak Truth, the dialogue segment. What is this dialogue about? It is about honest and often poignant discussions between Cooler Money guest speakers or interviews of them, ranging from those with same or similar beliefs and perspectives to those about as far as you can go on the opposite side of the spectrum. The focus is on bringing level-headedness to the table by first identifying some common basic ground, not necessarily in positions or beliefs, though definitely including them, but at a minimum, basic human decency, respect, and non-aggression at the table for the sake of a civil, even a testy, discussion of a given matter. This is Cooler Money, Speak Out, Speak Truth, and you're here with your host, Mustafa Elodala, and also joining us, the guest today is Kit, uh, Jim Kit Beetle, and Ty Abina. Uh, how are you doing? Great. Good. Yeah, all good. Okay. Uh, well, first, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself personally in terms of what, you know, what your activity is in Milwaukee, with you're there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin currently, and uh, Kit, you first. So, yeah, I moved up to Milwaukee about four years ago, um, connected with Ty. She and I uh, helped co-found the Milwaukee Lit Supply, where we send literature into prisoners. Um, we got pretty much uh, connected right around the 2018 prison strike. And then since then, we've just been working on various projects together, like the Lit Supply, the Crystal Kaiser Defense uh, Committee. Um, and just doing doing various prisoner support uh, type stuff from the outside in, basically. Okay. Uh, Ty, with regard to yourself, how long have you been involved with the Milwaukee Lift Supply and other activism in Milwaukee in the Milwaukee area? Um, so I got started in about 2012 um, with doing anti-prison work and um, the Lit Supply, you know, Kit and I are both found, founders of that. So, yeah, since it was started, I, I guess it was, say, 2019, um, we started that. Um, yeah, I also work on like some other anti-repression campaigns for people who have been targeted by police and um, and are facing prison time. I think that's a big a big part of it. I'm, I'm an abolitionist to my core. so. Um, I'll say that primary work is, in, is, is shutting them prisons down. Okay, the question uh, I have for you is, and this is a question for both of you, what sparked your interest? I mean, what drove you to get involved in any type of activism, period, but particularly uh, prison issues, you know what I'm saying, uh, um, the prison industrial complex and abolitionist-type movements? What drove you to that? Um, well, for me, it was mostly just recognizing, you know, this sort of, uh, just exactly the extent of how, uh, how truly unnatural and terrible these systems in place are. And the more that I, you know, came to, uh, sort of discover in myself the way that I believe that the world should be and the way that I see things and the more that I recognize that those things that that are being done and and those uh, yeah those actions taken by the prison industrial complex and the people who the people who uh, benefit from them are just diametrically opposed with everything that I believe so you know just, there was that sort of like theoretical push. And then in terms of taking action, it was recognizing that there were opportunities to do things, to push back on those things. And, you know, uh, yeah, just 
like since having moved to Milwaukee and like meeting Ty and a handful of other people that we have now like connected with. And uh, that's just been like, you know, learning what actions we can take and what kinds of things we can do to, to further the abolition movement and to, you know, bring, bring awareness to the general public about the, you know, just the, the absolutely egregious uh, actions that the, you know, the Department of Corrections and all those other, you know, things have uh, have taken against people. Okay, and you, uh, Yeah, so um, I'll say I've been a lifelong anarchist. My family raised me um, in, in sort of that realm. I have an older brother who's also an anarchist. And um, so, you know, prison work wasn't really my, my main um, function until about 2011 when um I, I started dating a guy that was on federal probation um and then he he got revoked subsequently got revoked and then um was sent to a prison camp while while that was all happening i i was doing a lot of research on how how that could possibly happen like how people get revoked for the stupidest of things instead of getting help and um i just went down a rabbit hole of information and understanding and learning how that system works and it um it just horrified me and so, you know, dealing with that, I, I actually ended up um, helping him walk out of a prison camp down in Texas, and we um, and and uh, sort of got tra- my own charges. So I'm I'm a federal felon, and um, really just felt like there this shouldn't be shouldn't be something that anybody else has to experience. It's racist. Um, it's bullshit. It doesn't help. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to swear. It's not not allowed to, um, you know, it, it shouldn't be happening to anyone and it's not any kind of way for people to be rehabilitated and, and be able to function in society. So yeah, helping the most marginalized people of our, of our world, it has always been the number one, um, activity of, you know, of choice for me. And once I realized that prisoners are truly the most marginalized, uh, that, that became my, my primary function. Yeah, knowledge is power. Information is how you get there, so that's that's great. Uh, now, uh, I remember speaking to you prior, kid, and you was telling me how originally you wasn't from Milwaukee. You was from uh, what, South Philly? Uh, just outside. Or Southwest Philly? Yeah. yeah, just outside of Southwest. I lived in West Philly for about seven years. Okay, okay. And what was your experience like growing up there? I mean, prior to your coming to Milwaukee, your young adult uh teenage uh experience i mean it was honestly like a pretty typical uh suburban you know uh upbringing um i had i have family members who have been incarcerated on a couple different occasions and a couple different uh people but you know i never really thought too much about it the way that those the way that that was represented to me as a child and like as even a young adult was always just I never questioned the whole like you know quote do the crime do the time type thing um and it was never something that I challenged in myself or or really questioned and so I never thought about it really and then just uh like Ty said about getting in that rabbit hole where you just recognize how like no like this is you know like I have a cousin who goes in and out every every other year for you know drugs or alcohol or DUIs or whatever you know, he'll call me and he'll be like, oh, I just got out, you know, whatever. Uh, every couple months, I feel like. And, and clearly, like, he struggles with addiction. And what they're doing is not 
in any way helping. All they're doing is putting them in county for a couple months. And it's like, clearly this doesn't, this doesn't work, you know, like this, yeah. nothing, you know, so, th- you know, and that's just one example of, but you know, it's like just now being able to reflect on those, those things and saying like, no, like this doesn't have to be like this and, and people don't have to be treated this way. Okay. Another question I have, and I'm going to get to tie again in a second, but because I remember having a conversation with you before in terms of the police presence and where you came from in like Southwest Philly, the suburbs of Philly and the police presence in Milwaukee. And what is the difference you notice between the two and the, you know, the police in other two communities? Or, or is there some similarity in terms of, uh, the police presence, uh, who the police target, anything of that nature? Yeah. So in, you know, in my, like, when I was younger, this, this whole side of society was something that I was, you know, privileged enough not to have to even pay attention to really. So, you know, you would see police officers and even I have cousin, I have a cousin who like is married to a cop and like, they're just, you know, whatever, like people just think of them as just another, just another facet of society. And then, you know, but now like reflecting on it, you know, the fact that I never had to think about them or, you know, like, yeah, everybody gets a little nervous when they're behind, you know, when they're driving behind you. But, you know, for me, it was always like, oh, I don't want to get a ticket, you know, and then obviously recognizing now that for other people, it's it's much more severe. And in in Philly specifically, um, the gentrification process has been, you know, off the rails. I mean, I was just back there a couple like a week or two ago. And just, I mean, whole neighborhoods are just completely changed with these new buildings. I mean, I went to whole neighborhoods that used to be like majority, like uh, black and brown communities. And, you know, I'm I'm going to see like one of my friends like lives in, you know, second and Cecil B. Moore. And I'm like up there and I'm like, dude, like, when did this happen? Like the buildings are all unrecognizable. It looks like every single other city in America where these you know, they're called like five on ones and it's this new type of architecture and it just okay. looks everywhere else. And I'm like, what, what happens in this neighborhood? And it's like the police, you know, like the police, the landlords, the realtors, like they all work together to displace the people who live there and bring in a whole new, you know, different group of people basically. And in West Philly specifically, uh, there's like university city, which is kind of separated from West Philadelphia. And University City is like, you know, pushing further and further west and actually pushing people from the neighborhoods that they lived in and grew up in and, and all that, pushing them out further and further west to where people are now um, moving out to the suburbs, like where I grew up. And those neighborhoods are changing and losing resources. And, you know, um, yeah, like it's just just being like it's interesting, like kind of being removed from Philadelphia has kind of more so exposed me to how, how substantial these changes are and yeah. how they can occur. Okay. And, and I'm going to come in on that in a minute. Uh, Ty, where did you really come from? I mean, in terms of you're not from Milwaukee either, right? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Originally in, in, in the U S you were, I know I heard you mentioned Texas. So did you spend a lot of time growing up in Texas or? No, yeah. I'm, uh, I spent two years in Texas uh, for a job. I, um, 
right out of college. I actually live on every coast um, of the U.S. now. Okay. I, I was born in San Francisco, California at um, UNCSF, uh, UCSF. Um, and then, and my, my dad is a first, first generation Filipino. Um, I'm second generation Filipina and my grandparents both emigrated from the, the Philippines and they died before I was born. So, um, yeah, I went to school in North Carolina and, uh, obviously I've lived in Wisconsin. So every single coast, a coastal state. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just gonna like jump in a little bit. So like my my family, you know, obviously I emigrated to the U.S. to try to seek a better life. Um, sure. They did in, and, and came to San Francisco. It was very easy to get from the Philippines to San Francisco. And they stayed there. They lived in Bernal Heights, um, which is just one of the seven hills in, in the San Francisco proper. And um, and uh, like I said, they, my grandparents died before I was born. I have a lot of family out there still. And I have some great uh, titas and titos, um, my, you know, uncles and aunts that live in the Philippines still. Um, we're Ilocano, so that's uh, that's from the, you know, um, that's, that's a, one of the one of the like native tr uh, tribes in, in the Philippines. And um, and yeah, so I mean, for me, it, it's it was crazy. There was not much. Um, there was not much of a police presence ever in my life when I was in California, but it was very, uh, that, that was very much so thrust upon me when I came to Wisconsin. My family uh, grew up in Cedarburg. We, we moved to Cedarburg for my dad's job. Um, he's a dentist and um, Cedarburg is a very white, um, very well off, uh, you know, city in Ozaki County, one of the, one of the richest counties in in, in, in Wisconsin and um, and right off the bat we were always targeted by the police there they, they have a small um, they have a small police force uh, us being brown and us being some of the only brown people to come into that city and I have a white mom um, we were we were targeted from a very from a very young age I moved there when I was five and that's really the first um, time that I became aware of the racism of cops and the systemic oppression that they um, enact on people, brown and black people of color, um, you know, to keep those white communities and white uh, families safe. And um, that's only gotten worse in, in Milwaukee itself. Yes, actually, uh, there's a lawsuit, a class action. I don't know if you all, if you guys are familiar with it, but I think it was filed in, uh, shoot, maybe 2017. Yes, 2017. The case is Charles Collins versus city of Milwaukee. And that's the class action which addressed the stop and frisk uh, program similar to the one that was in New York that pretty much the whole nation learned about and that was going on in Milwaukee. And it was ushered in by at the time uh, Police Chief Flynn. And it was called a broken windows policy. Yes. And it's a strategy that he described as proactive policing in which they would stop citizens, pedestrians, in, a, in, a, in an effort that they, they themselves called saturation patrols. So you yeah. will have police on foot, on bicycles, in cars, and in paddy wagons. They would do something called like field interviews and field contacts, where they would literally stop people, uh, a, a, a modern-day apartheid, if you ask me, in uh, in the United States. And so and this is something that uh, he actually said. He said, yes, I'm quoting uh, Chief Flynn. He says, yes, of course, we're going to stop a lot of innocent people. You know what I mean? And then they did the percentages, and it was off the chain in terms of 
you know, how many black people that got stopped. And the, and, the, and the justification they used for, and brown people, and the justification they used for it was that, well, if you have a high crime neighborhood, then obviously you're going to have a high percentage of stops there. But the studies show that even in areas that so-called work hard, um, were not high crime, the percentage of stops still was off the chain when it comes to stopping people of color. And yeah. so, uh, I want to know, I mean, obviously you mentioned that, you know, you're seeing a greater presence in Milwaukee. And I have a friend that used to live in Milwaukee that moved to Colorado Springs, and he had uh, some of the, his grandchildren come there. And they were in Colorado Springs for a while, you know, for the summer vacation. And they, they just like, you know, where are the police at? You know, they were <laughs> so used to seeing police every 15, you know, 15 minutes. They're like, where are the police at out here? You know, they came from Milwaukee. So uh, I definitely can relate. And uh, uh, so have, have you yourself, I mean, being a person of color, I'm speaking to tie in this respect. Uh, have you yourself experienced any of this type of uh, racial profiling? I mean, whether in your uh, pedestrian walk of life or while driving or anything of that nature in Milwaukee? Um, I mean, not so much in Milwaukee. I mean, I will say that, yes, I've been, I've been pulled over for any little thing. It happens more so for me um, outside in, in when I go to uh, predominantly communities where there are white people. Um, when yeah. I, I pass more as, you know, in Milwaukee, I feel like I pass more as white instead of black, instead of a person of color. But in those yeah. white communities, I, I'm, I'm very clearly profiled as a person of color. And so, yeah, I, I get pulled over a lot outside in the, in the white communities. And that happened. I mean, walking, I would, I would get, I would, my brother and I would walk to school every day. And my mom worked two jobs. Um, my parents were divorced when I was in fifth grade. And so, yeah, I, um, my little brother and I, we would walk to school every day and, and we were maybe a 10 minute walk to our school. It wasn't far. And even if we were walking in the direction of the school, uh, cops would pull us, pull us over on the, on the sidewalk. Um, I've even had cops not even, uh, in their uniforms on their way to work, not, not even, um, on, on the job pull over and stop us and, and harass us for not being in school or for not for being on our way to school when when school was already in session my brother was habitually true and he had a hard time getting up in the morning and so um anytime we were we were supposed to be in school and not in school we will be we will be um you know held, held up to to have to identify and call our mom and try to figure out how, why why the hell we weren't in school um so yeah that that's that's been my experience i i have my grandmother um, has has gone into the she for she's passed now, but she was um, a, a jail minister. She did jail ministry for um, the church that that I, I belong yeah. to. Um, she went in there for 25 years into the Milwaukee County Jail every week, and um, and so we would do walks for the homeless. We would go and see and see all of this, and the the like relationship that we had with police was that they were always the ones. Um, creating the problem and not doing nothing to fix it to to fix those problems. Um, yeah, I got a little off base there, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and actually that's part of the program. I mean, if you read the lawsuit, you will see it in there. Uh, the fact that, uh, police were actually not only encouraged, but pressured to stop people on their way to work. If they didn't meet a certain quota and the quota was like two arrests a day. And if they didn't meet that quota, they were encouraged to try to meet the quota on the way to work or on the way coming from work. So that's right. actually was a police policy that you experienced. Yeah. 
that's that, sure. that helps them out because they get overtime they get special um you know they get more money as well when that as an individual when they do those things yes a question here i have for you uh considering uh, your asian background being a filipino and the current uh uh the current problem we're having with anti-Asian hate crimes across America. One, well, we, I think we know where it's stemming from, but I still like to get your own response from it. But two, the, the question is, have you actually experienced it yourself or witnessed it in Milwaukee in particular, but anywhere, I mean, since you, uh, uh, in the last couple of years? Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely has had an uptick in this last year. I mean, just yesterday I got um, harassed and it was actually by a black man. Um, 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 so I don't know what was wrong with him, but he, he was Dominican or at least he was wearing a sweatshirt from the Dominican Republic. But, yeah, I mean, just yesterday it happened. It happens. Um, oh, it, you, I'm sorry. What took place? Uh, so this this man was um, standing out yelling outside. We was doing the May Day march, and we were standing outside the um, federal building. And he came out um, waving a Bible in the air and telling everybody to repent and all this. And then um, he he made a comment about homosexuality. Um, it was a it was a bigoted comment, and that was the last straw for me. I turned around and I told him to to GTFO, uh, get the f out, and. Um, and he turned around and said, oh, you, miss. And I couldn't even understand. I was so furious. He started making comments about me and saying, you got to you gotta fix yourself. You're still supposed to be one of us. And I was like, nope, that's wrong. I'm not, I'm not one of you. You're a bigot. That's, there's a difference there. And you need to fix, fix yourself. Um, so I can't, I can't even tell you what he said because I was, I was too busy yelling right back at him. Um, but yeah, like it be being told to say like you you should be respecting me, you should be on my side because we're the same. Um, that's that's not right. I I'm not a I'm I'm anti hate all, all all the way. And there's there's a problem if you're gonna be accosting people, especially people um, for their for their you know sexual preferences. Okay, well another question I have, and kid, I'm gonna get back to you in a minute, but this is. Uh, uh, in particular the tie with regards to what's going on with this anti-Asian hate and you kind of commented on something I want to ask you about. Uh, first of all, before I touch that question, uh, I was informed you because we had a you know, pre-conversation that last year you were uh, greatly involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, including, you know, producing Black Lives Matter t-shirt, uh, t-shirts and protesting and whatnot. Uh, first of all, how did you get into that? I mean, was it the same thing that drove you in the previous activism uh, to join the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, I mean, so I believe that we all have to show up for each other. And, and yeah. it, it very, very much so, like, um, I think very early on in the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it was discussed, like, um, all, all lives can't matter until Black Lives Matter. And Black, black, black people being the most um, systemically repressed and oppressed um, people in in the United States, that means that us brown people, we're not going to get, we should not and, and are not going to get anywhere until we pick up the most marginalized people. And so for me, that that's what I, that's what I, that's the message that I, that, you know, really spoke to me and made me drive for that. And, um, and I agree with it. I, I 100% agree. The things that, um, you know, Asians and, and, and other and Hispanics and, and other brown natives um, experience is 
is, uh, to me, is never going to fall until we address the the uh, oppression that Black people have experienced, even if, um, you know, if, since slavery. And so, um, and so, if we if we can't come together on on that, then then we got a problem. We're not going to get make it anywhere. And so that it was very important to me to co to come out and show out for that, and to show out as a as an Asian American, um, and and show people that you know we as Black and Brown people we need to be unified in in fighting this, and we start with with um, with Black oppression. Okay, question here for you, Kit, and I'm going to come back to you in a minute, Ty, because I never have asked you this question. Have you yourself, Kit, experienced? And see, I mean, we always talk about, uh, well, not always, not we always, anyway, but the topic of the day in terms of racism is racism that's committed against people of color. And by far and large, that is uh, the greatest problem in America. That's part of America's United States inception. Uh, but there is in some cases, and I, I call it reactionary racism, but it's still racism, where you have people of color, black people in particular, that also engage in, like I say, that kind of reactionary racism. Have you yourself, kid, ever experienced racism against you being a, a white person, a Caucasian American, from black people? I mean, <clears throat> not that I can think of. Uh, okay. Even, you know, like... The very, very first thing that comes to mind is I worked at this store and, you know, the uh, I worked at the store in, in, in like North Philly. And it was like I was one of like four white people that worked there. And this lady, Miss Ev, uh, called me by a name of one of the other kids who worked there who was white. And I was like, whoa. I mean, I didn't like this kid. So I was like, come on, I'm not Eric. <laughs> we we laughed and she was like, well, they just up and dumped four white boys in here. You know, and she was like, a, a, you know, she was probably pushing 60. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she was very respected and, and a very sweet lady. Um, So I didn't take it any type of way. We were laughing about it. You know, I mostly yeah, just yeah, did. So you, 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 I mean, but it's, it's a in terms of like actual, sorry, cut you off there. Um. But in terms oh, that of that, cut you off. Go ahead. In terms of any type of substantive like feeling of discrimination, like no, not really. I mean, like I don't know. Sometimes maybe uh, no. I really don't. I really don't. Can't think of it. Like even when I'll hear people like my like my dad, you know, went to uh, uh, like a, a history of slavery museum basically. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't know if it's black owned, but the, he said the girl at the front was like kind of rude to him and he was taking all offense by it. And it's like, well, I mean, fucking, I don't know. Just like, shut up. Like, <laughs> like sometimes people are just rude and like, she, you know what I mean? I don't know. Like, how did you come in? What did you come off? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think a lot of times people don't reflect on how they, so, you know, I have an uncle who works in a primarily black, uh, a primarily black, like he works for a transit in Philly. And he's like, oh, you know, everybody's rude to me. They're all racist, whatever. I'm like, dude, I've heard you say racist shit. You probably come from racist vibes and people can tell <laughs> and they don't fucking like you. Like, A uh, question I have for you, Ty, some similar, well, uh, related anyway, regarding... Your own activism in the Black Lives Matter movement, 
and the current anti-Asian hate uh, we're seeing across America, in some cases uh, committed by black people. What is your, I mean, what is your response to that? How do you, where do you think that's coming from? And how do you feel about it? Um, well, I think, I think there is a long history of, of minorities being pitted against each other. And, and that's, um, that's something that, you know, people kind of get nurtured into, you know, um, I, I know that in, in California, it's, it's quite a bit stronger. There, there is a lot of, um, separation between those two communities and it, and it definitely came out of the LA riots. I mean, I will pinpoint it back to that, but, but even more so, um, and, and this is a conversation I've actually had recently with my father, um, because he, he was, you know, immigrants who, who come to the, the U.S., they're, they're taught to, to assimilate and to, and to stand down and don't, um, don't, speak up to to racism and pressure and, and oppression um because you know you just want to get by and try to make it try to make it in this in this country now it's very different in my mind for black people who have been here who have who have, who were brought here against their will and who who raised families and and produced offspring who have been born into that oppression um and and that feels very different for me so i don't fault i don't fault people you know, any which way, I, for me, it's, it's all about um, having compassion and love and trying to educate people like we're on the same page. And I do that by, you know, through my activism, most most definitely. And um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that it, it, it's it's a historical thing that has happened. And, and mo- mostly because, yeah, we uh, my dad, my dad called it. Um, model minority, you know, you, you're taught to be, and he was very much so taught to be um, a model minority and to not make waves. That's the word, that's the phrase he says a lot. Don't make any waves. And, um, and I think being uh, the, you know, a second, second generation board, um, a feminist, I think that I, I very much uh, pushed against that. And, and my dad realized like this generation of, 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 uh, of immigrants, we we often do that, and he, he didn't realize how much he felt like he was playing into that uh, divergence of of black and brown people, and not accept you know not recognizing that we are we are one and the same. Um, in in that we are facing the same um, oppression, especially from from white people, and so to work together and to to be able to recognize that together and say you know what I'm gonna fight for you and you can fight for me when the time comes. That's, I think, very important. What you just stated, you know what I'm saying, your response is, is, a, is a perfect segue to something I want to touch on. And actually, I started off with an idea to have this interview titled uh, Divergent Convergence, you know, uh, <laughs> diverse uh, backgrounds and, 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 and belief systems, yet converging, you know what I'm saying, on the, uh, the call of the day in terms of trying to rectify what's going on in the criminal justice system, what's going on in policing, uh, what's going on in discrimination all across the board, uh, the rise, the rise of, uh, 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 continued rise, rather, of white supremacy backed by a former president of the United States. So, uh, the question, the next question is, because this is something that you, I did hear you mention earlier in the interview, uh, your anarchist belief. And so the question I have is, and I also mentioned, I heard you mention your Christian belief. And, and I've spoken to me and me and Kid have spoken about this before. So, first of all, the question for both of you, and 
there are other guys that have to uh, uh, take some of this time. So I want to try to try to be as brief, but nevertheless, uh, 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 full as you can in this response because we're running out of time. But the question is, why anarchism? And this question for both of you. You first, kid. I mean, <clears throat> to me, it all just boils down to everybody being equal, just a belief in equality and in a belief that, like, uh, as much as I don't have any right to have any power over anybody else, nor does anybody have any right to have any power over me. And so when I extrapolate that and look at the systems in place, they're all based on power. Everything that we have currently in the world uh, seemingly is based on you know, some sort of power, right? You got the landlords, the police, bosses, everybody has a say. Everybody gets to manage your time in some type of way, or you become, you know, uh, the potential like target of, uh, you know, like if you don't, if you don't go to work and instead you, you, you steal food, you know, you might end up in prison. If you don't, pay for housing you just find a, a vacant house and you live there then um you just you know you get arrested for squatting you know so there's there's almost no uh, there's almost no way to exist within this society in a way that doesn't uh force you to do some kind of assimilation but that that in and of itself is to me wrong. Um, I just feel like, you know, things would be better if they were built on what kind of what I was talking about with regard to like, you have my back, I have yours. Like if they were built on, you know, mutual uh, aid and mutual cooperation um, rather than hoarding houses or allowing some people to do that and then profit off of them, we can yeah. recognize that there are millions of vacant homes and, you know, less than a million homeless people. So there's no reason for that. You know, we can, okay. I work at a grocery store, recognize that we throw away food left and right, but yet there's a hundred thousand kids, uh, people in Milwaukee who go hungry every day, but I'm here. I am working at a grocery store being told to throw food away. You know what I mean? So all these systems, all the things that we have in place are just exerting an unnatural and un and uh un immoral power over us to force us to do things to advance people who are not us, basically. Okay. And you Ty? Yeah, so I'm gonna touch on a couple of parts of that. Um so first of all, I'm I wouldn't say I'm a Christian at all. I'm, I'm Okay. I'm only belonging to my church, and that's because of what my church is and does and expresses. Now, they that the first and last thing that we always do is talk about the most marginalized people of our society, and that we pray for, and that we want to work to do those the things that we can to bring up those people because we we as a society are no better than the worst off person. It, that li that lives among us. Pardon the interruption. And what church is that? One more time. Um. So I don't. I belong to St. Benedict the Moore Parish. It's a Catholic church. It's the old, It was the one first and only black Catholic church in Milwaukee. Um. The only Catholic school that would allow black um children to come to it. And our our altar has the Ugandan martyrs on it. Um. It's a very special and unique thing. Um. 
And so the, the work that we do, I mean, church itself is secondary to the, to the work that we do. We have a meal program that runs six days a week to feed uh, the hungry. Any, anyone is able to come. You don't have to fill out no paperwork. You don't got to do nothing to, um, to come and have a meal there. We do our jail ministry and we house people. So people who are coming out of prison into reentry, people who are homeless, they have, we have an apartment building. We also used to do um, healthcare work, but that's since been absorbed by, um, by a broader um, healthcare industry. But um, yeah, so I mean, the work, the work of my church I'm there to and the, the church itself is secondary. And we, we, we only, we have, we have issues. Our people at my church have issues with the Catholic church itself. And so that's. No, the call was breaking up. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't really hear. Uh, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to throw you off course either, but uh, back to, uh, so why anarchism? Uh-huh. Um, well, for me, you know, it was, it was a journey. Like, uh, from, I, I, I sort of, you know, as a kid, you want to reject the things you've been taught and all that. And so I really thought like maybe communism was the right thing. I know that there's a lot of communists in um, the Philippines, and that's that's a large um, that's a large thing. And and but I, but when I really looked into it, I took uh, you know because communism is everybody does everybody pulls their weight, everybody does a little bit of work, and we all we all share the um, reap the benefits of that. But but I truly think that that still is play, is a part in it part and parcel to capitalism that 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 system. Um, feeds into this this broader um structure of the world economy of capitalism and so i believe and i've always felt that money should be abolished we don't need fucking money we have resources and if everybody just shared and and traded their resources for what they for what they wanted that, that's how my parents worked in california my mom would trade dental care and dental um, hygiene work for 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 things so we had pottery yeah. Had glass. We had any kind of artist or or somebody who had something that they could give. They would trade that for dental work. And and so I, I understood like, okay, you know, everybody working together is great. But to a broader extent, everybody working together without the system of capitalism involved is is um, sorry. Uh, this, uh, just continue. Just continue. Yes. Um, yeah, that everybody working together outside of capitalism is even better. And so that's why I chose um, anar anarchism, um, you know, to, to be to be my, I don't know, ideology, I would say. Okay, now, well, let me let me touch on that briefly. I mean, when you break down the word in this uh, Greek meaning, uh, and meaning like no or against, archis, uh, I believe that's the proper word or the proper pronunciation, or archos, ruler. So basically no ruler. Uh, but when you come to organizing, like some of the organizing things you do, I mean, it has to be some type of, uh, uh, I guess, well, you call it, um, voluntarily or organic, some type of leadership involved in order to do this organizing. So how do you, uh, I mean, isn't that kind of opposed to uh, the meaning of the word or how do you do organizing without some form of leadership involved in the process? Uh, do you mind if I respond to this yeah, one? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Kit. Yes, yes. So, I do think that uh, in certain situations, there, there, there do become people who are followed for whatever reason, um, whether it's so. 
specifically with regard to organizing, the way that I think of anarchy is I think of it as a message. And the method is that we all have equal say and we all have equal right to participate or withdraw participation. So yes. with the lit by we like there is no person who makes decisions for the group. Um, we will come together either, you know, via messages or we'll have an in-person meeting and we'll you know, somebody will say like like ty for example was like i want to do a podcast and everybody was like cool how can we support you with that you know so now her idea we kind of threw in some other ones like oh what if we did this or what if we did that and it becomes a collaborative process and like yes the seed idea was ties and like ty is the host and like we're basically kind of supporting her business but nobody's forced to participate in a way that they don't want to. Um, you know, if somebody had an idea for wanting to do something that nobody was in favor of, they would just either take it on themselves or recognize that lack of support and consider like reconsider the other aspects of, you know, what it is that, what it is that isn't drawing the support. So, okay. Listen, yes. Hey, listen, I'll say that that like whoever leads like projects, some there is a, sometimes a leader of a project, like Kit was saying, but um, but there's not a leader of the lit supply, and no decision gets made uh, with just one person. So even if I want to change something, I'm asking for input from either the group or at least one other person to make those decisions. Um, Kit, you're pretty much the leader of the actual <laughs> lit supply, like letters and requests fulfilling and but you but you put it out there for when when there's work to be done for other people to join in and support that at whenever that whenever that's possible and so yeah it's very much so non-hierarchical but um but yes you're right there is some well, I, I guess i guess there is a difference between leadership and rulership when we go into the root meaning of the word you know <laughs> yeah uh well listen i yeah. wish we had more time uh and this is something that i might even want to i may even want to revisit because uh, we just get into this particular uh, topic, this particular part of the topic, uh, this particular topic of the conversation anyway, an interview. Uh, but we're out of time. Uh, but let me say this here. I would like to get a final word from each of you. And I remember this quote you shared with me, Kit, and a final word to the audience from either one of you. I mean, from both of you, brother. And also, Kit, please do close with that quote you gave me before from Tony Morrison. I can't remember it, but I'll leave that to you. But you first, Ty, any, any word uh, on any topic or whatever you want to say, whatever message you have regarding uh, Black Lives Matter movement, anti-Asian hate, or neither, neither of the two, anything. What do you want to say to the audience uh, going forward or any type of project you might be involved in that you want the people to know about? You too, Kit. Uh, you first, Ty. Um, so, I mean, final word for me would be that if you feel in your heart uh, that what you want to do is right, you should do it. Um, and we and and the work that we do is should always be done in with joy, with joy in mind. This is a very prison work, and abolition is a very depressing and um, and um, you know uh, put put you down type of type of work because all we're doing is dealing with with bad badness. But um, we yes. cannot find joy in in what you do. Uh, I, I want to say um, one of one of the first things that Kit and I ever did together was to yeah, like they said, um, to advertise or um, show people in Milwaukee that there was a prison strike going on. And so we had a bike 
parade. We put we put all our bikes up together and and dressed them up and made big banners that said prison strike. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and so you should find joy and and laughter and fun in what you want to do and make that project happen. Don't ever get put pessimistic or pulled down by the system and by all of the stop gaps that are in place to make you feel like you can't get it done because you always can and reach out to those people that are saying that they do want to help in some kind of way sometimes people don't know how to help and so you got to tell them but that doesn't mean that they don't want to help so just try to remember that for the, for the thank audience. you thank you thank you that's beautiful and you can yeah um it's just it's just important to remember that, uh, you know, well, so I'll just say this quote and this will basically summarize what I was saying, because this is, uh, you know, something that has struck me previously and that, it, you know, it kind of stays with me. And I just looked it up so that I could say it exactly right. But uh, basically the quote from Toni Morrison is just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. And if you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. That's deep. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> hey, listen, thanks. Thanks for the time. Uh, in fact, I want to say this to the audience myself. Right when I call, this is a, this is this, this podcast is being done on phone. Uh, they had just finished. Uh, what was the what was the work you was just doing? I, I, I want the audience to hear from you instead of me, so I don't get it wrong. Right before I call, you were doing what type of work? It was a mutual aid food distribution on the south side of Milwaukee where they had um, it was the the Turners and the DSA chapter of uh, Milwaukee where they put together like $120 gift cards and some other denomination of gift cards. They had 500 boxes of food and they were given out uh, they were given out one box to every person who basically came up and they were giving out gift cards to anybody who asked for them for a grocery store. And it's just uh, just a mutual aid effort to, you know, uh, help help anybody who needs it. And, um, yeah. And how fast did they run out of boxes? We went through them all. I mean, it would actually worked out pretty perfectly. Went through them all by about 1 p.m. So and it started at noon. <laughs> so in an hour, we got rid of 500 boxes and, and all the gift cards and everything. And right now they got, a, uh, they had set up like a DJ and a barbecue and they were just having a little picnic out there. Um, but we left cause we had to uh, go help a friend with something else. Okay. Listen, I just want the audience to hear that. The audience to hear that. And, uh, listen, keep the work up. Please give me the Tony Morrison quote one more time. We're going to close out. All right. Uh, just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. This is Cool of Money. Speak out, speak truth, and uh, reach out and speak out. Take care.